Welcome to Lead On Purpose. I'm James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now executive coach to global leaders and high performers. In every episode, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you lead your life and business on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. Scott O'Neill is one of the most recognized, connected, and dynamic executives in the sports and entertainment industry today. He has more than 25 years of experience leading NBA, NHL, and NFL teams and leagues, including the National Basketball Association, the Philadelphia 76ers, the New York Knicks, and many more. He is a Harvard Business School educated CEO and contends that fostering a corporate culture founded in respect, diversity, employee development, and corporate social responsibility is what drives success. In today's episode, he's going to share with you some extraordinary insights from Be Where Your Feet Are, his most recent book. If you'd like to be more present, create meaningful moments in your life, and lead with congruency, you're in for a great time today. Enjoy the show. Scott, a very happy new year. Happy new year to you. Life is good. I'm happy. I'm healthy. Family's good and smiling. And uh, I wish I were in New Zealand, but unfortunately, I'm tucked nice, neatly into my Philadelphia suburb in the U.S. I love it. <laughs> so great to connect with you. It was uh, our friend Chester Elton that had suggested we need to connect. So I'm really glad we got a chance to actually to do that. Chester, hopefully he was wearing orange when he was on your show. Um, he's a wonderful, wonderful soul, uh, dear friend, confidant, a mentor, teacher, somebody I listen to, learn from, and love every minute I get to spend with him. And he can't say any good, any more good things about you than possible. So he loved his experience. And I love the episode. I listened to it. It's fantastic. Oh, thanks so much, Scott. Well, we're here to start the conversation around B where your feet are. So I'd love to chat just initially about what that means to you. Yeah, you bring the book up. Let, let everyone see that book. Everyone <laughs> grab a copy like the, of this book. Sh- right, right. Shameless uh, promotion. Uh, Be Where Your Feet Are. Um, it is about being present. It is about creating memorable moments. Um, I mean, so much uh, when I speak in front of audiences, I've had a career in sports. And so when you speak in front of audiences, surprisingly, the first question I get almost every time is, how do you find work-life balance? And I was like, you don't. I never looked for balance, ever. It's like when you're on a seesaw. It's like the last thing you want to be is balanced. I want to spend the time I have in the most valuable way. I, I, I <clears throat> oftentimes think about my daughters in the morning. I've got three daughters, 22, 18, and 15 now. And so they're a little older, but, but when they were in their teens all together, it was pure chaos in our house. And the mornings, my wife and I would call it, it's like a sporting tournament, it's like a single elimination sporting tournament, just survive in advance. Like all we want to do is get them out of the house without a nuclear meltdown. You know, someone spilled milk, someone knocked over the cereal, emptied the cereal box, took a shirt, borrowed a sweatshirt, didn't have their phone charged, all this like nonsense. It'd be chaos. And like, I'm not trying to find any meaningful moments there because they don't exist. And so that is time. It's just transactional time I have to get through. And then I'm at work, they're at school, they've got 
cheerleading and basketball and boyfriends, which I never want to talk about homework and all this friends. And, you know, and then, and I come home and it's like, how much time do I actually have? Like to create meaningful moments with the three ladies that matter most to me in the world, my daughters, 45 minutes, an hour. What if we start thinking about time like that? The experiences we can have, the memories we can create. Then you say, okay, if I have an hour, how do I want to spend it? Do I want to spend it with my phone in my hand, just looking, checking my email? Do I want to like aimlessly flip on ESPN and just be sorting through my my laptop, you know, sorting through social media? Or do I want to engage them and say, let's talk about school. Let's what issues are you talking about at school? Let's talk about your friends. Hey, what are your dreams? What do you want to accomplish? And there's so many issues in the world right now from you know, uh, global warming to social justice to being a global citizen. There are all these incredible topics that you can talk about. Let's talk about them. Or let's create an experience. Let's play a game together. Let's talk about competing, winning, and losing with grace. Let's go on a walk. Let's, let's do something where we can create moments and memories. And, and, and so it, it, I kind of dispel the notion of let's, let's search for this, you know, work-life balance, if you will. And I encourage you to be where your feet are. So if I'm with you, I am with you 100%. I'm not worried about what I have to do three hours earlier or three hours later. I'm not thinking about my wife who's at the dentist right now. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm <laughs> thinking about you and, and I'm fully focused. I'm where my feet are. I love that. And for people who've struggled like to, to be present, so when they get home, they've still got the phone going. Uh, their maybe five-year-old is wanting to chat to them, but they're like, hey, hey, just I've got to deal with this work thing. I know I'm home, but I'm not really. How do they, how do they change that? What, what's the pattern interrupt that can help them change that behavior? Yeah, guilty as charged, by the way. I, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I think we all are. You oh, know? Totally, and, me too. And so, yeah, so our, 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 you know, our, our life mission is just to, you know, aspirationally, we're, we're wholly present wherever we are. But I can tell you when I was working for the Philadelphia 76ers, we were in this historic, we were kind of turning the team around. It's kind of a historic um, turnaround. But, but we went through a three-year period where we had lost more games over a three-year period than any team over a three-year period in the history of the league. Okay? So it was bad. Um, and I remember coming, I'm a very competitive, I, I have a competitive gene that won't quit. Um, losing hurts, it stings. Losing stings, like I'm the kid, kid. I said I did this last night. We we're playing cards. I was the, the flipping over the Monopoly table, the board. Okay, <laughs> that was me. And I still have that. Like I hate to lose. I hate to lose a lot more than I love to win. So anyway, so um, we we I, we had particularly gotten pounded one night, and I came home, and my wife um, heard me stomping around the kitchen. She came down. She's like, "What's going on?" I got home eleven thirty or so at night after a game. She's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're stomping around here like a child. Like, what's happening? And I was like, did you see our game? She's like, yeah, yeah, I saw your game. She's like, uh, well, um, anything you want to tell me? I go, anything I want to tell you? Did you hear the booze? She's like, I didn't even need the TV on to hear the booze. That's how loud they were. And I said, well, I don't understand why you're so why you're questioning why my mood. She's like, but this doesn't work. And I said, what doesn't work? She's like, this. I'm like, what's this? Say you and your attitude. When you come home here, I need a husband. I need a father. I don't need this. So you got to find a way. And and oftentimes, like I do when I'm challenged, I get right into protection mode. And I don't know. Everybody deals with conflict differently, but I like to debate. So I get my neck up and I was just like, I can't believe I need you to be more sensitive. I did that. You know, that lovely, lovely, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful defensive tool. And um, and so then um, 
nicely. Um, so I, I went to bed, woke up in the morning after a nice nightly nice sleep, and went to her and I said, I, I get it. She said, Thank goodness. I was like, I'm gonna work on it. And so, and for me, working on it meant how do you compartmentalize the stress at work or something gone wrong and getting home? How does that actually, how can you separate those two? And I was talking to a dear friend of mine and he said, oh, it's the easiest thing in the world. I said, easiest. I said, for me, it's the hardest. He said, no, I have this tree out back in my house and I, I pull up my driveway. I get out of my car, I put my hand on the tree. It's a worry tree. And all my worries go up in the tree and I walk in the house and I'm good to go. And I was like, hey, I've, I've searched my property. There is no worry tree on my property. <laughs> he's like, no, it's not an actual tree. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so for me, um, I use my commute time home. Like that's my howl at the moon time. And, and I know like my trigger is when I turn into that driveway. That's my trigger where it's over. Um, and then I walk in as a dad. And, and I know it's hard. Um, but I, I will say that there are some little tricks of the trade you can do. One is to keep your phone in the car for the first couple hours you're home, um, because that's oftentimes our connective tissue to the stress of work. And um, another thing is to keep the TV off. Um, you can set up rules for yourself. Like we have little um, archaic phone rules. Like we have no phones in the bedroom and we have no phones in the kitchen. That's just our just family rules. My kids hate it, by the way. I bet. Um, but it, 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 it breaks off. It forces you to reconnect and be a human being. And so for me, um, I, I think you need some period of time to decompress, some decompression time. And then when you walk through that threshold of the door, you've got to decide um, consciously every single day who you want to be and how you want to show up. And if you're like me and you need actual rules to put in place to, to make sure that you can abide by them, you do it. And that's what we do. That's powerful. It's interesting when you talk about the time that you've got the valuable, intentional, present time with your family. So I read a study about four years ago, and it was with North American CEOs. It was about 500 of them. And the study was around time spent and their values and what their priorities were in life. And the vast majority, let's say 95%, said family was their number one priority and their values were driven around family. So they then had to do like a two-week time audit, and the time audit came back. And over 90% of them spent less than 3% of their time with their family. So each day, it was about 43 minutes a day or less of quality time with their family. But during that time, they were still tending to want to go to their phones, still thinking or being mentally present in their workplace. So I love that you're you're flipping that going, like you can operate as a high performer, as a leader, as a CEO, plus you can be where your feet are when you show up as a dad. But you have to give something up, right? Like life is about trade-offs. And anybody who wants to accomplish anything great in life knows there's a fixed amount of time. Like we, we can't stretch time, uh, but we have to prioritize differently. It's really interesting that when you mentioned that, that study, it, it's something um, I've done for several years. A, co a coach of mine in the US, Spencer Holt, kind of pushed me onto this, where it's about this concept in the book is WMI, what's most important, okay? and um, and figuring out what's most important is pretty simple for CEOs. I at work, it's pretty simple. Like there are three things that matter most. And if you spend 65% or more of your time on those three things, you're more likely to be successful than, than otherwise. Okay. I kind of expand that. So I have those three things. And then you have 
relationships. Like um, <clears throat> there are usually three or four relationships that you need to tend to. Mine, my wife, my wife, Lisa, of 26 years, if that relationship is solid, I am solid. If that relationship is shaky, I am shaky. So I know I need that. That's one that never moves. That's always on my list. And then there, there are two others. And it, it could be my daughter. It could be my mom. It could be a brother. It could be a friend. It could be somebody at work. It could be somebody in the community. It could be somebody from my church, but somebody in there. And then there's a, a personal side, three things that matter most in, on the personal side. So the, the audit is the key. Like that's the thing we're missing. Because when you write what's most important down in terms of your relationships, personally to you and at work, you just audit your calendar. And I'm neurotic, so I do it once a week. Um, but but you can do it once a month or once a quarter, um, hopefully more than once a year. And then you actually find out where can you, does the rubber meet the road? Like is what you're saying is most important actually how you're acting? When I first did it and did an audit, now remember I said 65% for high performers. I was at 23%. Can you imagine? <laughs> and so here I am like Mr. Big CEO. I've got everything covered. I know it all. I God, my organization's cooking. I, I, I got this thing set. And I was like, oh, man, I need to make some changes. Um, and my changes had to be, you know, one of two things. I either had to change what I was saying was most important or change my process and my behavior. And what's most important to me is really clear. It's always been clear in my life. And I had to change my process. And the one thing I had to learn was the magic word of no. Mm. And I know that's hard for people because I'm a people pleaser. I want you to be happy. Um, when I meet somebody, I want them to like me. And that's just my, in my, that's in my DNA. I, I don't have control over that. Um, and so what can you say no to? Because you're going to have to clear time. And so personally for me, I know I have to take care of do something for my mind, something for my body, something for my soul every day. I know that. I know I need sleep. I know I have to practice gratitude. I know I have to be where my feet are and put my phone down and keep my head up. That's my formula that me personally, I need time carved out in my calendar. Like I need meditation or prayer time. I need workout time. I need learn time for me to operate well. And so I have to look, okay, if that's on my personal side, my relationships, how many times have we been at dinner with somebody who we don't want to be at dinner with? Hmm. Because they call, like, yeah, okay, I'll have lunch with you. Sure. It's usually my wife's friends, but I hope that doesn't, <laughs> you can edit that out later. Um, but um, but I, I will tell you, like, we have to be more disciplined and prudent and shrewd in terms of how we spend our time because time is time is our most precious resource beyond anything else and when you look at time like this stuff fascinates me i'm i'll spend the first five days of the year just reflecting on last year deeply and then deeply planning what this year is going to be about my priority so i really value time a lot uh possibly it's uh my greatest strength and my greatest weakness so when you look at time and you look at it on a weekly or a daily basis, you know, how do you approach it? How do you structure it? How do you segment your time? You know, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful question. And, you know, I've spent the last, I guess, 15 years knee deep working an ungodly amount of hours, 80 to 100 hours a week. I've been working six, seven days a week. Um, and and May, when I was at Madison Square Garden, President of Madison Square Garden, I got to tell you, there was an event every night. And so I had to drag, and I can't help myself like that. It, like, I love it, you know? So it's not that it's not a chore for me. It's for me, I have to pull myself away and say, do I need to go to that game against the Timberwolves tonight or not? You know, because there's 50 college basketball games, boxing, tennis, UFC, Knicks, Rangers, Liberty. I mean, you could go, you could go to something every night. Um, your body can't handle that. Your, 
your brain can't handle it, your relationships can't handle it, your family can't handle that. So, um, so for me, I, I will say that those 15 years and Sixers, Devils, and concerts, same thing over the last eight years since I've been at HBSE. And so for now, it's very different. Um, I have time for the first time in a really long time. Um, and so my struggle has been um, in this pause I'm in right now is to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm prioritizing effectively, like you said, that I understand where I'm heading and why. And once I understand where I'm heading and why, and I understand my purpose, like what I do, what, what's meaningful to me, and then I understand what's most important, that should direct most of my decisions. I, I can tell you, though, like I don't, I'm not interested in, in aimlessly playing um, Pokemon on a computer, you know, or on a little switch, or I'm not interested in PlayStation and I don't get a lot of thrill out of binging for television. Like I love people and connection. I love deals and business. I love growing companies. I like helping people. So for me, like my purpose is pretty clear. My WI is pretty clear. And that helps me prioritize and, and take best advantage of my time. Up until the last six months though, I've had, you know, my time's been scheduled down to the 15 minute increment. So, uh, so it's been a, been quite an adjustment and a wonderful one. And a unique one, um, but one I'm really enjoying. Good. Now, I'm glad to hear it. And it's interesting, you know, a few of the CEOs that I work with, one of the biggest time sucks for them is email. So with, how does email sit on your radar? Does it suck a lot of your time or have you got a system in place where you don't spend a lot of time on it at all? Great question. Um, you know, Brendan Burchard, who's this wonderful, wonderful soul and a good friend, um, told me, gave me a great trick. Um, about 18 months ago, which I've been implementing. And that is to not be a slave to your text or emails. And his instruction, which I've been following is, please, please, please do not pick up your phone first thing in the morning and check your emails and texts. Because when you do, and if you do, now you're on somebody else's schedule and somebody else's agenda. So his counsel, which I take very seriously, is to, to have an intention for the day have three things or four things I want to accomplish in a day and make sure I do those before I lose myself in my hundredth email of the day. Um, but it's a great distraction technique. It, it's no, it's not too dissimilar from, from rolling through TikTok or rolling through Instagram or checking Facebook or rolling, strolling through LinkedIn, you know, emails become that um, for a lot of us. And so I think the discipline of making sure you have you're intentional about what you want to accomplish first, uh, then the email becomes your dessert. It's the fun stuff. That's so good. I love it. And I love that you brought Brendan up. So I've been studying Brendan's stuff for a number of years. And for the last year, I've been in a mastermind, one of Brendan's masterminds and a done by one. That's the thing that I remember. He says, look, all your major work, all your major tasks, have them done by 1 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, lo I love that. I love that you're, you, you've done the mastermind stuff. He is a he is a different level thinker, and a wonderful human being, and a powerhouse. Um, but but more so, I mean, other than his incredible personality and presence and this crazy, amazing business he's built, is at his heart, you know, in his soul, he is driven to help people with higher performance. And what a great mission, you know, not unlike yours, quite frankly. I mean, you two have seem to have the same kind of karma 
energy and vision and mission to help others through high performance. It's pretty cool. Cool way to go through life. Yeah, it's pretty special to, to watch what he's done and how he's created it over the last 20 years. It's, it's amazing. He's an inspiration to us all. Right? It's f- For phenomenal. sure. I wanted to chat a little bit too, Scott. Just You had these massive roles, right? Madison Square Garden, the 76ers, many others, like huge roles. And it's it's nice to talk about that retrospectively and it's you, know, you, can, you can reflect on it. But I want to go back to before you got your first major role as a CEO, as an executive, did you ever have that self-doubt, that imposter syndrome, that like, oh my God, I'm applying for this? Like, what if I get it? What will I do if I get it? Yeah. You know what? I'm going to answer your question in, a, in an interesting way. I think that we're all straddled with some imposter syndrome. Okay. So I, I am uh, for sure. When I was younger though, I was this, I was ambitious, like in the worst way. I was so ambitious that I didn't even know ambition. I didn't understand the negative connotation around the word. That's how ambitious I was. I'm like, how can this be bad? Um, and, you know, I, it's, I, as I say to my daughters, you know, there's no Neil family trait. What we lack in talent, we make up for in confidence. So I, I definitely had a, a will to, and a drive to be successful. Right? I put that in quotes is because the definition of success moves over time. I'm 51 years old. I have adult children. I've got a successful um, and incredible, like fulfilling and loving marriage. I, um, you know, I think those things matter more and more the older you get. When you're young, you just like, as I tell the young, young people that come work for me, like, work life, if any young person's like, can we have work life balance? Like, like, you're 25 years old. You'd be working 100 hours a week. What else are you doing? Um, but I, so I didn't, I didn't at that point, I, I, I'll tell you like a, a wonderful story. I, I have, my wife, Lisa, it's a great counterbalance to me. And um, I just re- remember her just, I remember the day, like we had to move up to the New York area, which is a lot more expensive than where we were living. And I remember we had to pay, it was almost a million bucks for a house. And like, we couldn't even conceive of it. Like we, you know, I, I'm a kid. I, I grew up on, you know, government assistance. So like, I didn't, you know, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really process it. And it was, it was fine. It was, it wasn't a great house. It was just an expensive, you know, expensive area and taxes were crazy. Like the taxes we were paying for this house were more than our mortgage in our last house. Like I almost couldn't believe, like we were not struggling, but like, you know, we were fighting the fight. And, um, you know, my boss ended up, Bernie Mullen had this incredible boss and, um, at the NBA league office and he went on to go run the Atlanta Hawks. Um, and so there was some question as to who would take his job, which was my first executive job. And, um, and I was the front runner internally and I, I didn't know it, but I, I was. And, um, and so my boss, David Stern, the great former commissioner of the NBA, um, called and, and yelled, yelled at me about something and, and said, and I can't believe you're the one that's going to get this job. And I was like, what job? He's like, you know, a job and hung up the phone. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, so a nice way to, to, uh, to let somebody know, but nonetheless. Um, so I went home and I told my wife, I was like, Hey, you're not gonna believe this, but like, I think I'm gonna get promoted. She's like, wow, that's awesome. You know? So sure enough, the next day he calls me up and screams at me about something and, and, uh, offers me the job. I was like, wow, that's fantastic. And I had a couple of things I, that I asked for in terms of people and structure. And, and um, and he's like, you don't even know what you're going to be making. You know, do you have any questions? I was like, you know, whatever you think is fair would be awesome. You know? And then he's like, get out. You know, it's, just, it's like one of those old school leaders, like screaming, you know, like, by the way, the most, you know, wonderful, like good human being who would, 
who would jump in front of a train for you for me. Um, became a mentor until his final days. He passed away a couple of years ago, sadly. Um, but he was tough, tough and nasty. And so, um, so I went home. And I told my wife, I was like, "Hey, you're not gonna believe this, but I think I'm gonna get a get a nice raise." You know? She's like, "Oh, good, good, good for that's awesome, good for you." I was like, "Oh, thanks." So I go back in next day. I'm dragging the story out too long, but effectively, I I get a raise almost doubles um, what I was making. I, I thought yeah. I was making before. I you know was never you know. So I came home. And I was like, Lisa. <laughs> you're not going to believe this. I'm making X. And she's like, she looks at me. She's like, think of all the people we could help. It's amazing. And I was like, yes, that. And, and to me, like that is like the answer. I mean, she, she is, well, the story should speak on its own. I've got the um, goosebumps. My comments- I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I got the goosebumps. Like she's a key. Oh. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the, the reflection on that moment. Cause I, you know, in the beginning, I'm like, yes, we can help a lot of people. But when you're around, when you surround yourself with people with extraordinary values that, that push you to be the best version of yourself all the time, good things happen. And, you know, we got married very young. I was 24, 25. She was 24. And, and some people might call it lucky. Well, you just got lucky with the right person. I said, maybe, but we, we always had alignment and values, you know? Um, and she certainly didn't marry me for my money. I couldn't even, she out earned me until she stopped working. And I literally, my first, when we first started dating, I remember um, something was wrong with my trunk and it was $25 to fix. I couldn't fix it. So I just bungee corded it together. So we go for a date and my my truck could be banging upside down. Anyway, so it's, you know, you go from that, like a woman who's just grounded and smart and talented and tough and full of love and grounded around the important things like family and faith, everything that matters, matters most to her all the time. Um, you know, those are the moments in life. We talk about creating moments and memories and, um, that's a that's a moment in my life I'll never forget, and I'm always grateful for her incredible example. So I only tell you that um, because it, it's it's so counter to this notion of ambition or imposter syndrome. It's really like, can you take that stuff and just leave it on the side and show up as your authentic self um, and and do something for humanity and other people? Can you? help others can you you know we talked about purpose a little bit before on the our pre-call and i just said like i know what my purpose is i know i'm here to help create the next generation of great leaders in this business that's what my purpose is that's what i want to spend time on and by the way i do that at home with my daughters i do that at church i work with these young men in my church that's what i'm focusing on developing them as leaders i go to work i'm focusing on developing young leaders that's what i'm passionate about that's what my purpose is and, and it gives me direction. It gives me focus. It gives me some grounding. My, my, my days of, you know, um, William Wallace, the warrior are gone. And it doesn't mean I don't work hard. It doesn't mean I don't have passion. It doesn't mean I don't have energy. It doesn't mean I don't have angst and intensity and competitiveness. I have all that stuff. It's just the victories are different. Mm. My victories are about your victories. My victories are about your successes. My victories are about, hey, when you accomplish something, not when I accomplish something. My, my joy comes through the success of others. And, and that's, so, so that's the counterbalance um, that gives me a, a grounding anchor that helps me avoid the pitfalls of this 
imposter syndrome or, you know, the ambition or, you know, searching for the wrong, you know, kind of reaching for the wrong brass circle. You know, it's like, it's like when you understand why you're put on this earth, I think that helps and you surround yourself with people of, of goodness and, and grounding. So true, true definition of leadership. You've just said it as the service to others and serving people wholeheartedly. Uh, to me, it's beautiful what you just said. And it's when you think of human needs, psychology, we all need to meet these basic needs of certainty, uh, variety, significance, and connection. And most of us throughout our life try to try to do that. And Wait, can you say, say those one more time? You've got uh, certainty is the first one that we try so, and meet. So that'll be yeah. like, I want to make sure I've got enough income. I've got a roof over my head. Um, of course. Right. Then you've got variety. If you have too much certainty, gets a little bit boring. boring. And so we search yeah. for variety. We want that holiday. We want that exotic food. Then right. we go down to love and connection. So we want to feel that we have a deep connection uh, as a need. It's not a want. It's we actually need to feel connected and loved and to love. Then it comes significance. As, again, it's a need that we all have. We want to feel that we have some sense of significance. We What we bring to the That's table right. matters, that we matter. Then if you can meet all those, those four, which is difficult, but we can do it, then you get into the spiritual needs, and that's contribution and growth. And a lot of people who jump straight, I just want to grow, 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 without meeting these basic needs, they have this sense of like, I'm learning lots, and I'm maybe earning lots, but something's missing. Like, I just I feel empty. So when you meet those first four needs, then you can focus on what you're doing amazing at, like contribution, giving back, growing leaders. And growing yourself, growing your mind. You mentioned that earlier in the call. Like, I like to grow every day. I like to learn every day. I love. I love that that model. I think that's that makes that's very. It's it's in, intuitive and smart, and and is a great guide. The question is, though, for most of us, we have to walk through the fire, mm-hmm. you know, and um and and how wonderful would it be to wake up and just be someone who, um, who can get to that final stage. Um, but I, I will tell you that, uh, you know, I've stood on the mountain and it is freaking lonely. I will tell you that. Okay. And, and you look back down the mountain and what do you, what do you see? You see the human connection, the people you've, that have, who have helped you and the people you've helped and the deal or the deal that's gone badly or the trip and fall over the route or the walk into a tree or the rain and hail, that's the fun. The fun is that journey up. Um, and with, when you get to the top of that mountain, if it's truly a mountain and you are truly alone and you are truly sitting up there by yourself, I got to tell you, the analogy is all wrong. Like, it, it's not what you want to be. It's not where you want to be. Um, and it's not with whom you want to be because you're standing up there solo. And, and once you have, have experienced that loneliness, um, it certainly is an opportunity to to grow and expand who you are and who you aspire to be and and what contribution you want to make and and who you can can serve quite frankly and when you think about that because I, I actually had a client about two years ago who, who wasn't a client at the time but uh we met for a drink and he said james it's really lonely at the top i says what do you mean by that he says well I started this company by myself. I then got one staff member and I've got like 200 and I don't know who to talk to. And I've got these things I'm dealing with and I can't talk to this person. I can't share this with this person. It's just really lonely at the top. And what I've heard you say is like, if it's lonely, 
then something's missing. You've, you've missed out on something. You've done something wrong because you shouldn't be at the top and be lonely. It should be a, a partnership. It should be, you should be connected still to your people. Yeah. And I think that's right. I don't, the analogy of a mountain is funky and it's, it's one that we, some of us have climbed. I, I, I've, I've climbed a mountain or two and it's, it's been rough. And, but I, I think that analogy, I, I don't even like mountain range because it, 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 it seems like we'd be separate. It's more like, it's that connection and community. It's like, can, you know, how much stronger, how much more comfortable, how much more grounded, how much more intentional can we be if we're lifting others up in many ways ahead of ourselves, right? Um, that, that's the, that is the coup de grace or that's the, the, the massive victory when you, when you can be part of something special and, and not only be driving, but also be learning and growing. It, it's really, it's functional. Yeah. It's, it's kind of four dimensional in a way. Uh, and so different from, from that, that um, mountain that, that those of us have climbed know how it feels. That's a beautiful analogy. I really like that. And I'm thinking, thinking about your book. So for those who haven't read it yet, and for everyone that hasn't read it, please go and order. I'm going to put the link in all the show notes so people can go and order it. But what was the inspiration or the point at which you were like, I need to write this book, and this is why I need to write it? You know, I suppose people write books for different reasons. Um, you know, my, my, my lovely wife, the one who, who occasionally keeps me grounded, you know, she said that that writing a book is the ultimate expression of ego, which I thought is really, it's really insightful if you think about it. You, you, don't, don't think of ego in the, in, the, in the most negative connotation, but don't think of it otherwise either. You know, so when you think about that, you, what you're saying is, is like, look, I have something to say that other people should read. Okay, so, so, so she, is, she is right. Um, on, yeah, no, nah, it didn't feel great when she said it, though. But on the <laughs> other hand, um, and I agree with her. Um, on the other hand, you know, my, my story is, is um, it's a sad one. Um, my, my, my best friend, Will Carden, um, took his own life. And I went into just a really, really rough tailspin. And I was with him a couple weeks earlier. And we were at, my brothers and I put on this baseball tournament called Obats every year. And we have 50 some odd guys and we have, you know, have a draft and uniforms and teams. And it's kind of fun. Yeah. Award ceremony and the whole deal. But um, he was there and he was really down, like as down as I'd seen him. And my only counsel to him was, I don't mean to chuckle, but it's like sad to what I said was, Choose happiness. This was my big advice. Okay. Serve others. I was like, just choose to be happy. Sometimes you could just make the choice. And then I said, I said, when I'm down, I just serve. I do some kind of service for others. And that lifts me up. And he must have been looking at me like this guy has lost his mind. Cause I didn't understand the depths of his mental illness. And, you know, two or three weeks later, um, without at risk of being so graphic, he, was in his parents' house and went up to the bedroom and took a shotgun and, and shot himself in the head. And, and that was it. And, that, and I got a call from a, a dear friend of ours, um, Jared Stone, and he said, have you heard? And I said, heard what? Um, and he said, Will, Will's gone. And I didn't hear anything else he said. I just kind of was, was um, not in a good way. And, and um, I, I write about this in the book, but I'll, I'll tell you the story is I, in a, Hey, this guy's not the father of the year. I, um, Lisa came up and she saw, I was kind of shaking and crying. And, um, 
and I went, I went downstairs. She's like, yeah, tell the kids, um, before they see it on social media or they get a text. And I just said, um, Uncle Will's gone. Um, shot himself. I just walked away. And you've heard me talk about uh, being grounded and being comfortable and confident. And I can tell you when when you're when you're dealing with um, excuse me. Take your time. When you're dealing with with uh, with overwhelming grief, which I was, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't see straight. To be honest, um, a couple weeks later, I was out. I, I had the the blessing of getting to speak at his funeral, and um, I I I left there. I was in Arizona, and I left. I kind of fell apart. I mean, in a way that I didn't really understand. And I couldn't really get out of bed in the morning. I couldn't really fall asleep at night. I I would be in a meeting and somebody would say something. I would just kind of walk away and burst into tears. And and um, I, str- I just struggled with just it all. And uh, and I began to write to, like, it was, my, I guess, my form of healing. What, what I failed to do in, in hindsight is I failed to raise my hand. Um, you know, just like Will had, quite frankly, and say like, Hey, I need some help. Like I need to go see somebody or talk to somebody or, um, get myself straight or right. And I, and I didn't. And, um, you know, my wife has, I, I talked to her about her a lot already, but, um, she's kind of, she's just steady and stable and I'm not, I go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And she just kind of, you know, in my worst moments, she's, she's always there helping and not, not in a, in a condescending way and not in a aggressive way and not in a passive aggressive way. She just kind of helps. You just kind of guide me back on the rails. And, and, and she was struggling because we weren't like, I was not getting back on the rails. And she called her, her friend up, a guy named Randall Wright, um, incredible author. He does a lot of um, faith-based books and, and uh, he's a good friend of mine, but much better friends with her. And so he came up. And I, I assume she called him and said, like, hey, can you come up and talk to this guy? Like, and, and so he came in in this actually this office. And I was just like, hey, you doing all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and he's like, Lisa says you're writing a lot. I was like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like a journal. and. And what I was writing was I just found myself just some of it was just gibberish crap. And other of it was just times in my life where I struggled and, and what I learned, my lessons. And, and he's like, his, his view was, it's like, look, everybody like you, you, like he was, he's from Texas and that's kind of like from like almost like Western Australia. It's like that that type of mentality. And and he's essentially like you CEOs kind of like you know lecturing me. He's like you know you CEOs you write these books and it's like it's all about you and your successes and 
you know, you pat yourselves on the back and you, you know, put pictures of yourselves with the presidents or some trophy you won. He's like, this is the book we need. And I was like, this isn't a book, man. This is like just my own stuff. And he's like, but, but what if, and I was like, what if what? He's like, but what if you could package this in a way that could help somebody? Would you do it? And I said, I don't, that's not, I didn't really, I couldn't get it. He's like, look, Scott, he's like from the, from the outside, everything's good. You live in this beautiful house. You got this amazing wife. You got these three healthy kids. You know, you have this big job, you know, you're, you're on TV, you're in the newspaper, like people know who you are. He's like, he's like, but what if, you know, what if it's not all perfect? I'm like, but it's not. He's like, I know, but nobody knows that. He's like, you know, maybe, maybe there's something here. And so that, that became be where your fear. That's, um, that's what the book is. So it's, it's not, if you're, if you're looking for a victory lap at the victory lap, um, you certainly won't find it here. And if you're, you know, if you're, if you're looking to, to grow and, and learn a bit and stretch yourself and, and, you know, understand, um, my, my wife, Lisa, she said, good news. Like there'll never be an expose about you. <laughs> She's like, it's all here. You know, this is kind of cute. And um, so it, it definitely walks through me, like running a company to the ground and the mistakes I made. It talks about me getting fired. It talks about Will. It talks about, you know, losing his own life. And um, mm. talks about me struggling with mental health. And and talks about ups and downs of of me with my daughters. And, and what it's like being a dad of daughters. And what it's like being married. And how does it work? And how, like, the mistakes we make, you know, they're oftentimes private. And, and hopefully it's like a roadmap and, and an anecdote to help you if you're ever, you know, in the tank or in the gutter or tripped and fell or, or struggled in life. Hopefully you'll find some common ground and say like, hey, yeah, okay, this guy, he did it. I can do this. So that, that's the purpose. Long story. I know it's a little emotional for me. It always is when I talk about that story, um, but I appreciate that and the platform. No, thank you for sharing it. And thank you for sharing your emotions. I, I have a feeling I know that a lot of men struggle to do that, uh, particularly uh, in a public setting. Uh, so I think that you're leading the way in how we should be expressing ourselves and uh, being vulnerable and sharing our struggles as opposed to sharing our trophies. And uh, it's great to celebrate our successes. We've got to do that. But it's not our successes who make us who we are. It's it's our struggles and our failures. And the book is is simply amazing. So there's a few things in the book that I want to just to touch on. And uh, this was something that our friend Chester had brought to the fore and uh, talked about when we chatted. And it was assume positive intent, API. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's crucial. It's a critical part of the book. And it's, it's an amazing way for people to approach life in leadership and at home. So where does API come from and how can people apply that? Sure. So it's, uh, it's borrowed or stolen from Indra Nui, uh, the former chairman and CEO of PepsiCo. And um, I read an article like 20 years ago. And ever since that, we've adopted it in our family as one of our mottos. So um, assume positive intent. You could, uh, if you came to our house, you would, the last thing you see before you leave 
is it's it's carved into slate. If you went up to my daughter's rooms in my room, you'd see it carved into rocks um, in our room. It's something that we have. Don't ask me why we have chalkboards all over the house, but <laughs> I mean, daughters are what we have chalkboards all over the house and API is written on the chalkboards. Um, so, so for us, um, it's, it's very much part of our language. It's, it's, I'm a, I'm a huge believer as a leader um, and a leader can be as a dad. Um, a leader can be as a, as a manager at work. It could be, you know, a position you have at church or something you do in the community for service. You know, leadership takes on a whole, whole host of different roles. Um, but as leaders, we oftentimes have to repeat things. Um, and I think that sometimes when I was a young leader, I, it used to frustrate me because I, I, I always want to talk about something different. And, and my mentors and teachers and guides would say, no, 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 come back to the three things that matter and keep, keep saying them over and over until you're sick to your stomach and then say them another thousand times. And, um, and that helps to create a common vision. And it helps to create a common language. And that language allows you to, gives you the license um, to challenge. Um, we, we have an expression um, at work. I used to say, hey, you don't have to like each other, but you have to love each other. Okay. Mm, love and, and if I love you, James, I can say anything to you because you know I love you. And I can say anything. And you know it's emanating from a place of, of love. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to make you look bad. I'm not trying to make you feel like crap about yourself. I'm not, I'm not trying to like middle school you or teenage daughter you. I'm literally here because I'm giving you feedback and it's emanating from love. And so no matter how I say it, no matter how I deliver it, you know where that, that emanates from. And so in our house, um, you'll hear, you know, you'll hear API. So, um, you know, we'll be in the car and there'll be chaos in the car. We're going up to New York City couple days ago to go see music man hugh jackman great show i'm not a big broadway guy Uh, i was kind of going on for the ride and um and and there was a little bit of an attack on one of my daughters and my wife heard my wife said oh api and and everybody knows like okay assume positive intent okay she wasn't trying to be disruptive she wasn't trying to be difficult she wasn't trying she let's assume positive assume the best out of her i remember I'll, I'll walk through what it is in a second, but I remember um, Adam Davis, this incredible uh, young man I've, I've worked with in a couple different spots at Madison Square Garden and at um, um, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. He was our chief revenue officer. And he came into the office one day and he's like, just his hands up, he's like, Scott, you know, I need you palms up. He just turned his hands up. That's another expression, we palms up. Um, and I need you to API. And what he was saying was something happened to go wrong. The deal went south or something. Um, and he said, I need you palms up. Now palms up means I need you open. I don't need you. I don't need this guy. I don't need Mr. Debate. I don't need you to tell me what I did wrong. I don't need that guy right now. I need you palms up. I need you open. I need you assuming positive intent. Assume positive intent with me, Adam, at the time. I need you assuming positive intent with this deal that's gone south. I need your, your wisdom. I need your creativity. I need your experience. That's the guy I need right now. I don't need this guy and I don't need this guy. And it was really it's compelling. Um, and the language we use at home and the language we use at work are, are very similar. Assuming positive intent, the only way I can express, describe it best is if you're not assuming positive intent, you get an email from your partner, your friend, your, your spouse, your, your roommate, uh, uh, going to be late tonight. And your first instinct is like, you've got to be kidding me. Or your boss sends you a text, I need to see you at 12, and you break into a cold sweat. 
Now, your boss, she didn't say, I need to see you at 12 because you're in trouble, because you did something wrong, because you're a terrible person, because the deal's gone south, because you're getting fired. But think about where your head goes. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a bad space to be. Instead of assuming positive things, you're like, terrific. Okay, a great opportunity. I get to see the boss. What a great opportunity. Such um, a shift. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a fundamental mind shift. Or, or what about like, um, you know, mountain guides? You know, I always see this, these pictures. I, I'm not much of a hiker, but you see these mountain guides and they're like stacked up with luggage. That's the only visual I can think of to how most of us go through life. We're not assuming positive intent. We have all this luggage. Mm-hmm. Well, James said this to me a year ago. And I remember James embarrassed me in the meeting. And every time I see him, he makes some kind of snide comment. So I'm walking in. I'm not assuming positive intent in our conversation. I'm walking in. My back's up. Okay. I've got a protective shield and I'm waiting for something bad to happen. Now, what happens when I'm gripping that stick so tight? <laughs> Nothing good happens. Totally. Think about any sport you ever played. If you come in here, you're just uptight and tense. No, no, no. Sports is fluid and loose. It doesn't mean there's not an intensity to it. Of course there is. There's an intensity to it. But I'm open to what's going to happen. I haven't predetermined what's going to happen. Because when I'm predetermined that James is a jerk and he's difficult to deal with, and meetings with him always go badly. And I know this is going to go bad. How do you think that meeting is actually going to go? Totally. Not going to go You're setting it up for failure. I've already decided it. I've predetermined what's going to happen. And I walk in and you say, hey, Scott, I was just checking in on, oh, because you have to check up on me? <laughs> whoa, wait, whoa. Soon positive intent. Okay? Palms up. I need you here. Stay with me. So that, that gives you a, a glimpse. I, I think it's a really powerful concept and topic. Um, it's amazing. And it's, really, it's been very pervasive in my life, in every aspect of my life. I can see this. Like, honestly, I can see this playing out in my own family. You know, I, I live in New Zealand. My family live in Ireland. I know I've got my, my little boy here and my partner. But I think, like, there's times when we jump the gun or we assume things uh, with our family members that we've known for years. And it ends up in tension and friction. But if we could all adopt the... Uh, Assume positive intent, palms up. Well, everything changes like massively. Yeah, no, I think it does. And I, I think the family stuff is, is strange, right? Like it's the people that we love the most and have the most connection to and with and for. They're the most important people in our lives. And yet, you know, somebody has a brother that they haven't spoken to in a month mm-hmm. or a mom who you just can't deal with. Or, you know, the best example are teenage girls with their moms. Like, <laughs> there is no assuming positive intent ever. You know, it's Love like, it. give yourselves and each other the benefit of that. And give yourself grace. I mean, if there's one thing, it's like, give yourself grace. If there's one thing you want to write down, it's not what's most important. It's not assume positive intent. It's like, give yourself grace. Mm, that's powerful. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like in this day and age, we're constantly in comparative mode. So we've talked about, you know, Instagram and whatnot and Facebook. And it's really hard to give yourself grace when you're looking on Instagram at, whoa, that person did this. Well, they did that. It's their highlight reel, you know? So if somebody is finding it hard to give themselves a little bit of grace in life, like where do they start? Oh, man. You know, I, um, I think at least for me, um, what I've experienced as, as a dad and as a husband and as a leader at work is, is that those who give themselves a break or grace or 
they look in the mirror and, and they don't see, um, the, the, the frailty and they don't see the lines and they don't see the flaws. Instead, they see the, the big picture. I remember my dad, um, uh, as God rest his soul passed away. But, um, I remember I, I was struggling as a, as a teenager and he, he, um, he brought a piece of paper in the, in the room and he just wrote a little dot and he just laid it on the, on the table and he says, son, what do you see? And I was like a dot made by a pencil. He's like, no, I want you to look again. And I was like, I'm like, I think the old man's lost it. You know, I was like, um, a dot. That's it. And he said, okay. He said, there's a dot on a piece of paper. Piece of paper is white. It sits on a beautiful maple table in an incredible living room with some incredible craftsmanship. And what, what he was saying, I think, is like, I think oftentimes when we look for the mark in ourselves um, and we're missing perspective, we're missing a bigger picture. So I think that's where it starts, you know, to, to understand that we're more than that speck on the piece of paper or we're more than the, the flaw that we see in ourselves. And then if you can just pull that lens back a little bit um, in life, I think that's probably the best place to start. I love that. Get out of the weeds and see it from that kind of dissociated spot, like a satellite view. It's, it's beautiful. Yes. I love it. And How Scott, about you? Have, have, you any, have you had any uh, tricks of the trade there where, where you've um, been able to, to either yourself manage yourself into grace or help others see grace within themselves? Great question. You know, for me, grace starts with self-love. And uh, Harry Potter, um, so J.K. Rowling, the author, put it nicely. You know, for some to love you, some must loathe you. And we all get that. We understand that. And it, it adds a lot of perspective to our lives. But when it comes to ourselves, we all have some level of self-loathing. And you can either feed that or you can diminish that. And I ask new clients to do one thing and it's cringy and they don't like it and it's awkward and it's weird, but it's about building the self-love muscle. And I think to give yourself grace, you've got to actually love yourself first. And so I always say, hey, and most of my calls are, uh, my coaching calls are on, on the phone. Hey, are you, are you close by a mirror? And they're usually in an office or they're at home or they're in the car. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can get to a mirror in the next kind of 10 seconds. Like, okay, great. I was like, get to the mirror. And I want you to look in your own eyes. And I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, I want you to say something. You maybe never said it before, but you're going to say it right now. I want you to look right in your eyes. It's the first time you've met yourself. And I want you to say, I love you. And my clients said, what? I was like, look in your eyes and say, I love you. Now say it with passion. I love you. Say it in a funny way. Say it in a cheeky way. And get them to do it 10, 15 times. By the end of it, they're like, this is quite funny. I was like, well, how do you feel about yourself? Oh, kind of, kind of love myself. I was like, great, we've got to learn to love. And I feel like we can only access grace once we can access self-love. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. Have you ever done, um, my, my wife's mom was really big on affirmations. And we, we teased her immersively, um, the amazing woman, my mother-in-law, Janet Reynolds. But she would have my wife and her siblings sit in front of a mirror and say, like, I am smart. I am hardworking. I am strong. And, like, it seems so, like, I don't know, 80s to me, but 
think of the power of that. It's just, it's, it's very similar to what you're saying. I love the notion of you have to love yourself before you can give yourself grace. And I love the notion of staring in front of a mirror and saying, I love you. And I, that would be very painful for me as well. But, but there, there is, there is the way the brain works, which, which um, very few people understand is like, it's not what you think. It's not that you think of something and you say something. It's when you actually say the words, it has an impact, a measurable impact on your subconscious. And so when you did the opposite of what you said is like negative self-talk. I'm, I, I have a daughter who struggles with negative self-talk and it, it, it makes me nuts because I, I don't like you putting that in your head. I am ugly. I'm stupid. Uh, I hate myself. I, I'm like, no, 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 no. Change the words. Like flip that script because it does have a, 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 it has a very, very, very real impact on how you see the world and how you go into the world. Oh, I love it. I love your tactic. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> go for it. No, absolutely. Go for it. That, that's so interesting what you said there. You know, you're in the sports background and I, I deal with a lot of professional athletes, but my background was in music. So uh, I was a drummer and a competitive drummer. So we got lots of adjudication and playing under pressure and so forth. So I found that the, the narrative and the vernacular that I used on the buildup to those world championship titles that greatly impacted how I performed on the day. And, you know, the words that we use, I always think to myself, how can I be more exquisite? Right? I'm Irish. I grew up in a working class town. You know, I've got all the words you can imagine, including the profanities, right? And I think, yeah. how could I be more exquisite in times of pressure or times when things aren't going right? How can I use better language? And even simple things like this, like uh, someone goes, hey, I just got promoted to CEO of, uh, the Bank of New Zealand. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. So right away, that word, that's crazy. Like, it's not positive. Or that's insane. Or, you know, that's sick. You know, I hear people saying, that's totally, that's sick, dude. That's not exquisite. That doesn't actually marry up subconsciously with a beautiful experience. So that's definitely something I work a lot on with my clients is the words they use. And I call it incantations. So you've got incant and incantations. So um, I, I'm too old. I'm too fat. Whereas that's an incant, like I just, I can't do that. Versus I got this, I am enough. So you've said it already, those, those affirmations, how we structure those and how, what we feel when we say those is so important. And, you know, getting the beads and saying it, the affirmation a hundred times won't really have an effect until you feel what you're saying. So, you know, I often say when I drop my, my son off to school and then I blast some of my favorite music, often country music, and I'll go through three incantations. And it's often around fatherhood and say, no, I am, I'm a good dad. I'm a present father. And I'll say those with passion. And it just reminds me that, you know, sometimes I'm not often, and I just need to remind myself to do that. So incantations for me are about just returning to the present and reminding myself of what the values are. So with your book, I know that the book is very much focused on how to remain present and congruent. Yeah. There's a great, um, great. There's a, uh, a wonderful story in the book about Sean Nelson, who started Love Sack. I don't know if you know Love Sack, but it's, yeah. anyway, it's a French company. And, and he, he writes, he has a mantra that he has on his mirror, and he reads it every morning out loud. And I just, I love it. I, I think we'd all feel somewhat silly and awkward and he doesn't like he's, 
he's just this wonderful soul who he knows who he wants to be as a dad. He knows who he wants to be as a husband. He knows who he wants to be as a leader. He knows who he wants to be in the church. He knows he wants to be in the community. And he just reads it out loud every day. And for him, that's setting his intention every single day. And I just, I love that practice. The leadership constitution, this takes me to this. This was fascinating. Can you please share with the audience the whole idea of a leadership constitution? Sure. It's very similar. Uh, It's very similar to an intention. It's just a a little bit more specified. So um, you have to answer the question, I declare that I am dot, dot, dot. And then you have to answer, you can count on me to be dot, dot, dot. Okay. Um, We use this at work. Um, It's, uh, it's, um, I learned this from Rich Hill of Gabriel Consulting in Chicago, Illinois, in the U.S., Um, and he walked our entire, my brother's um, team at Get Well Network, a, a healthcare um, IT company. And then I brought it to our company through him. And it's very similar. It's just declaring to the world who you are. Um, we had them framed and put in our office. So there was no, I knew, I know, I know who I am. I want you to know. You can read it. You know, it, it takes about two or three weeks to actually go through and complete. Um, but it was, it's an exercise that everybody should do. Um, so I declare that I am, you just say who you are. Um, you know, I, I, I wish I had mine in front of me, but um, it's something I start with mine to say something like I'm a leader of leaders. You know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, you can count on me to be authentic, to, to nudge you, push you, root for you. Um, you know, that I'll uh, laugh with you, cry with you, um, even when you haven't laughed or don't want to cry. Um, so so it, it's a notion of the actually authentic self. It's not, it's, it's, it's who you are, not as much who you aspire to be. There is nothing negative in this. It's all positive. Um, but the book walks through an exercise as to how you actually do it. But it's a, it's something like that, like your mantra or like you're saying about, you know, your incantations, incantations. Um, it's fantastic. I, I, I think we all need positive self-talk and anything you use, whether it's the mantra or it's a leadership constitution, or you have your, your affirmations. Or you simply sit in front of a mirror and say, I love you. I am strong. I am willing. I am tough. I am smart. I'm going to do it. I coach a high school girls basketball team. Uh, we are eight and one, by the way, go team. Yes. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to do it today to start a practice. And can you imagine getting 14 high school girls to say, I am smart. I am strong. I like, so we're going to see if we can do it. I'm going to put it to practice today. That's to me, you are transforming humanity one leader at a time with this high school team, one leader, one girl, one conversation. That's amazing. That's why I love doing it. There's nothing, there's nothing like that age group. I don't know. Everybody has like a certain age group that they love. You know, Um, I remember with our first baby, it wasn't that I wasn't, we had trouble having kids and had all kinds of issues, but when we had our first baby, I loved it. But like, you know, she's cute. She doesn't really say anything. You know, when they became teenagers, that's when I like, I love teenagers. I love their struggle. I love them trying to figure out who they are. I love their awkwardness. You know, I love them emerging and growing like that. That is a group of people that I love to spend time with. And so getting to spend time with 
um, you know, the same 17 kids every day has been, uh, it's been a, been quite a, quite a treat. That's so phenomenal. Well, there's a question I wanted to ask you before um, we get close to wrapping up, but um, over the years, you've had to select team members, whether they're athletes or whether they're in administration or other leaders within your team. How do you go about, and, and, the, and the girls high school now as well, selecting team members, what do you look for? Obviously, there's a certain degree of talent or skill set. But more importantly, what are the other things that you look for to say that person will bring a lot to the team and I can help grow that person? Yeah, first and foremost is I like people who work unreasonably hard. So um, that that to me and, um, you know, in, in a perfect world, if, if, if you could if you could sculpt that perfect person, I'd say it's somebody who works unreasonably hard, someone who is intellectually curious, someone who's an extraordinary teammate. And someone has light or passion in their eyes, whatever, however you you define that. I think those would be my four. You know, the reality is, is that I think, you know, other than the hard work thing, because I think that's a gene. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's a learner skill or, or not. I think there are certain people who who wake up in the morning and have a gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's because they grew up a certain way or were raised a certain way or that's how they were born, I have no idea. Um, but there are those kids I'll work with till the end of time. Um, intellectual curiosity is about like, what am I learning? You know, my, what I, what I push um, kids and at work and same, same type of thing is like, what are you learning? Like outside of what you have to learn for school, what, what podcast have you listened to? What Ted talking to What article are you reading? What are you passionate about? Something outside of like your English class or your social mm-hmm. studies class or your science class. I want you to find a passion and learn. At work, we get so tunnel vision. You just work, 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 work. In the sports business, I'm just reading everything on sports. And it's like, you know what I'm interested in right now? I'm interested in blockchain technology. I'm interested in web, web 3.0. I'm interested in the metaverse. I, I think the whole world is changing. And I want to I read that. I, get, I read anything I get my hands on. But intellectual curiosity is, is a, I think that is, the, that is the, the one thing I've seen, one characteristic I've seen that with, with high flyers, they're all intellectually curious and are learning all the time. hundred percent. And then being, being an extraordinary teammate um, seems really, really trite. I, I will tell you though, especially when you're young in your career, I remember starting, I was a 22 year old kid and I was an assistant, like a marketing assistant, taking dictation and picking up dry cleaning and getting lunch for people and doing all the terrible jobs. And I remember the, the guy to my, the cube to my right, um, he's now running CAA sports, which in my business is like the, the largest talent agency in the world. And the guy to my left built the Barclays center in Brooklyn and ran the nets. And like, we were all kids, you know? And I, I think, and they're both very good friends of mine, Brett Yormark and Howard Nucho. And I wonder like, what if that wasn't my thing? And I, I didn't, wasn't doing a concert. I, I love people and love connection and love helping people. And that's kind of what, how I go through the world. But what if I didn't like, what a missed opportunity. And there are plenty of people in that group that went on to do extraordinary things as well. But I just think about those two guys, one to my right and one to my left. And it's like, we have these people. And when you start, if you think about life, not in a Machiavellian way, okay? Not like, hey, I am going to do this because they will help me. Not that, I don't, I don't like that. I like, hey, you know what? We're all interconnected and the world is really small and life is long. What if I walk through intentionally of my day, trying to help others, serve others, be a great teammate, see if I can be of help. It's amazing how that comes back around. And I can, I can tell you for me, it's come back around a thousand times. And, and I think that that's good. And then the last one in terms of, 
of passion. It's very different. Passion and lightning eyes is very different than hard work. Hard work is like putting the time in. That there's something you see um, when kids have that light in their eyes, um, or adults, um, or people you work with, and and they're excited and they find passion. And it, it, it doesn't have to be passion about you know a new project or a new job. It can be passion about like what we're having for lunch, or or you know a project we're working on. But they there's an excitement that's contagious, and and I've seen extraordinary things done by ordinary people who did nothing else but have a light in their eyes. So those are the four things I'd, I'd lean into. That's incredible. And for people listening, Scott, I know that's going to be valuable when they're selecting staff members, team members, uh, life partners like that. To me, that's that's phenomenal. Thank you for sharing that. And one last question for you. And I always ask this right at the end. If you know, you've got three daughters, so let's, let's, let's use them at this point. So if you had to leave the earth and you had an opportunity to have a conversation with your three daughters. And they said, dad, how do we lead our lives with purpose? What would your answer be to that? I would say to them that at first I'd say that I love them and that they're remarkable and that I want them to find their authentic selves over time. And I don't want them to try to be like anyone. I want them to carve their own path. Um, so I think that would be my first step for them is like find your authentic, authentic self. Um, secondly, I would say that I want them to be grounded in a faith in faith. Um, and, and I, I know organized religion is, is not popular of the day and, you know, while I subscribe to it, I, I don't um, advocate that for everybody or, or think everybody should, should run and go grab their scriptures and run to church. Um, but, I, but I do believe that um, believing in a higher power does bring you a, a grounding that we all need um, and provides a baseline of purpose. And then I, the third thing I would say is that... Um, to, to leverage their skills, talents, abilities, and all the blessings they have in their life to go help others. Um, and that if they are authentic, that they have a strong sense of, of faith in, in who they are and they serve others, that'll be a life worth living. Wow. Scott, what comes from the heart reaches the heart. And I felt like I felt that. And I'm going to make sure you get a little clip of that, that you can, if you feel like it at any point to, to share with your daughters when they're ready. Wow. Uh, that's stunning. And there'll be many people that have heard that. And if you're listening to this right now, I want you to take note and write those things down because it's powerful. It's a great way to live life uh, on your terms and defining what success is to you. So Scott, I just want to say a heartfelt thank you. And for anybody that's listening, please jump onto Amazon right now. I'll put the links below, get the book ordered. Be where your feet are. James, thank you very much. It's been a, a quite a treat. You're an incredible voice for this rising generation. And I hope this, you continue to do what you can to help us learn to be better leaders and make a difference in the world. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today and investing in your own personal leadership please hit that subscribe button and I'd love if you'd leave me a rating and review. 
I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks. And leaders, it's that time to get out there and lead your life on purpose.